your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Luke chapter 17. That's where we're going to be. In this, our season of giving, uh, we've been talking the last two weeks about first giving mercy rather than condemnation and judgment and criticism. And I ask you, how's it going? How's it going? Are you still living in that true spirit of giving by making sure that you stifle that judgment and that criticism and that condemnation that you have and allow mercy and goodness to flow from you? We talked last week about giving generously to those in need rather than just talking about it. Remember, we talked about making sure that the gifts that we give and the generosity of our spirit is matched by our actual lifestyle. How's it going? I hope it's going well. I hope that you left this place resolved to maybe change some habits about your lifestyle and the ways in which you are generous so that you can actually put rubber to the road in far, as far as your generosity to con- is concerned. I trust that God's going to give you the strength and the courage to do that which he's called you to do. But today, we're going to talk about another element in our season of giving, something that's incredibly important for us to give on a regular basis as we hope to become the people that God desires us to become so that we can change the world. Now, I tried to think of some witty and thought-provoking ways to package the beginning of this sermon, and, and as much as I combed my experience for uh, something really great to sort of introduce it, I, I had nothing. And so instead, I'm going to turn to an old friend this morning, and that old friend was someone who once received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys, and he's going to introduce this part of our season of giving today. Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. (laughs) So many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Mr. Rogers. (laughs) At his moment of achieving a Lifetime Achievement Award. He's got it. He's got it in his hands. Something so precious to so many. And what does he do? He takes time to give Hollywood and New York City a lesson in morality. In essence, he was saying, thank you so much for the award, but other people made my life possible. He doesn't take time to be self-congratulatory. He takes time to look at his watch as he invites other people to think about those that they should be showing gratitude 
and recognition to. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Have you ever seen an acceptance speech like that before? Perhaps that can be part of who we become. That in this season, but not only in this season, but in all seasons of life, we recognize that our accomplishments and our achievements and the good that has come in our life is not a result of us, but a result of the gracious and good gifts of others, especially the gracious and good gifts that God has chosen to give us through others. There's a story in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 17 which reminds us that gratitude has power. Recognizing what others have done for you has an effect on us that is powerful and an effect on others that can be just as powerful. Today I'd like to show us through the scriptures just how powerful gratitude and recognition can be. Are you in Luke chapter 17, verse 11? On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were made clean. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated, meaning he laid on his belly at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, for those of you who love how intricately woven the Bible is, and you like to see how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, write down 2 Kings chapter 5 in your notes this morning. We're not going to go back and read that today because our time is precious, but it's really a great story to just show how cool Jesus was and what he was doing on the prophetic level. But let's just focus this morning for a few minutes on the story at hand. In Bible times, leprosy was a term that was used for all types of different skin ailments. I know that we sometimes equate leprosy with what Mother Teresa was, uh, the people Mother Teresa was working with in Calcutta and the leprosy that eventually ends in death. But what we have here, according to scholars and anthropologists and people who know better than I, is a statement made for any number of skin diseases and ailments. In Jewish culture, if you were deemed a leper, you were not permitted to take place in society. You had to leave your home, you had to leave your family, and you were an outcast. You weren't allowed to come close to anybody who did not have any kind of skin ailment. Not only that, but these people were considered unclean, which meant that they couldn't even take part in the worship of God at the temple. They weren't allowed in. Finally, it seemed to those who were lepers, to many, that these lepers were unclean because they had been cursed by God. So there's a threefold horror to having a, a, a major skin ailment at this time in history. Number one, you are separated from those you love. Seemingly, you are separated from God, and you are viewed as accursed by God by many people. And the only way that you could re-enter society was if you went to the priest, and the priest looked at your skin and said, you know what, that's looking better. You can re-enter society. The priest could declare them clean. 
That's why Jesus says to these ten lepers, go to the priest. And because the priest is the one who can give them the opportunity to re-enter society. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, was teenage acne something that was declared unclean? I don't know. I, I don't know. Some of you teenagers are wondering if you're allowed to be in church this morning, and you are, regardless of the state of your pimples. But what was going on here was something incredibly, incredibly sad. It, it, it was a really stinky environment to live in, and Jesus, in a moment, changes everything. That's why the lepers called out to Jesus from afar. They really aren't allowed to come close to him. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And the beautiful thing, the cool thing, the outrageous thing about this story is Jesus sort of looks at him from a distance, you know, from me to Karen at the back of the room, and just goes, go show yourselves to the priests. That's the healing, right? They don't even come near. There's no mud. There's no bathing. There's no weird anything. Just, all right, go ahead. You're good. I mean, it's that easy for Jesus to change lives. In a moment, from a distance, he can go, yep, you're good. Go show yourself to the priest. I mean, there's no other detail here, and Luke is a detail guy. You read the rest of Luke, and you, you, you hear all the details of these miraculous things and these conversations. Literally, Jesus just looked at them and went, you're good, gotcha, and they head off. There's a couple of astounding things in this story, and I want to take a minute just to stop and recognize what's astounding. First is the miracle itself. It's, a, it's astounding what Jesus could do and the power that he displayed. And I want to just make mention of this to you this morning. Maybe you're in the room and you go, you know what, I, I don't know. Maybe these miraculous stories have a little bit of a mythological element to, him, to them. Well, I'll tell you this. Early in the ministry of the church, right after Jesus had lived and died and risen again, there was much dissension that was caused because of him. And Christianity went one way in history and Judaism went the other. And of course, Jews who did not believe in Jesus were very upset with the Christians for saying that he was the Messiah from God. But early Jewish records from Jesus don't deny that he was a miracle worker. They just said he did miracles because he was possessed by a demon. So in essence, people who were trying to denounce Jesus at that time, couldn't deny the power that he had. They could only deny the source. And so early accounts of who Jesus was and why he gathered such a following, it explains it if Jesus truly did have this miraculous power to be able to look at 10 lepers and go, go ahead, you're restored. So that's astounding part number one. The second astounding part is only one person returns to give him thanks. All the rest of these guys or gals who are lepers, they're going down to the priest to get their life back, but only one returns to Jesus. And it's an unexpected one. A Samaritan, a foreigner, someone who was not only considered un unclean because of what was on their skin, but they were also considered unclean because of their race. You see, Jews and Samaritans weren't allowed to hang out. They were not friends. The Samaritans were considered a half-breed race that didn't have good theology. They were considered leprous in race to the religious elite. So, so Luke, by keeping this thing a mystery until the end of the story, when Jesus says, and this is a Samaritan, wants to sort of shock his audience by revealing this tidbit of information. So you have three astounding things going on. The miracle, you have the fact that only one returns, and then you have the fact that one is a Samaritan. Jesus is surprised that only one returns, and he's surprised that that one is a Samaritan. So nine lepers go running to the priest to get their life back, 
but one returns to Jesus to acknowledge the one who had given his life back. That's the difference between them and the one. Nine go to get their life back, but only one returns to recognize and give gratitude to the one who had given him his life back. And he laid at Jesus' feet and praised God for the mercy that he'd been shown. But what I want to focus on for the remainder of our time this morning is what Jesus says to him. It's in the very last verse, verse 19 of the story, what Jesus said to him. Jesus looks at the man who's lying on his face in the dust and says, get up, go on your way, your faith has made you well. Now that's an interesting thing that's being said here and I want to explain what's going on here in the original language. Up until this point in the story, two words were needed in order to convey what was happening with these lepers. One word is healing. They needed whatever kind of skin ailment they had to be healed. And two was clean or cleansing. Because in the Jewish mindset, you needed to be clean to re-enter society and re-enter a relationship to God in the temple. So they needed two things to happen here. They needed their healing to take place so that they could be declared clean. And of course, these lepers get their healing and they're going to be declared clean. But Jesus does not look at this leper who returns or this former leper who returns and says to him, get up, go on your way, your faith has healed you. That's not what it says in the original language. Nor does he say to the one who has come back and laid at his feet, hey, get up, go on your way because your faith has cleansed you. That's not what he says in the original language. In the original language that this book of Luke was written in, Jesus says, get up, go on your way. Literally, your faith has saved you. That's the word that's used. Not your faith has healed you, not your faith has cleansed you, but your faith has saved you. Our translators, the ones who wrote the NIV or the NRSV that I read from, or maybe you're reading in the old King James, take that saved to mean something like, well, saved because he'd been saved from his ailment. But I take it to mean exactly what it says. That in that moment, that that man laid at the feet of Jesus, recognizing who he was and what he could do he was not only healed and cleansed because that had already taken place, but now he was saved. Something went from external to internal. Ten lepers were healed and cleansed that day, but I believe only one of those lepers received the full good of what Jesus had to offer him. And that's why Luke takes pains to make sure that people know in the Greek language that Jesus didn't say healed or cleansed, he said saved. His life, the one that laid in the dust, was now one of gratitude to God. And that gratitude to God was not going to cleanse his outside. God had already done that. That gratitude and recognition of who God was and what he could do, that was going to cleanse his inner man, his spirit man, just as much as the miracle had cleansed his body. Now you might say to me, okay, Matt, well that leaves an elephant in the room. Why is it that if you were translating this, you would write, your faith has saved you, and so many interpreters over the years has, have written, your faith has 
made you well. Well, there's an issue here for us theologically. And the issue is this. If this man is saved, where is repentance? Right? Because we as Christians believe that that salvation comes when we believe upon the name of Christ, and then we also repent or turn our lives, change our lives into what God has wanted them to become. And I want to tell you today that I still believe with a full heart that this man lying in the dust that day was saved. And you say, how can you say that? Because think about the other passages about salvation that we know so well. Think about John 1.12, when John writes, to as many who have received him and as many of those who has believed on his name, he has given power to become the children of God. Where's repentance? And then there's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish and have everlasting life. Where's repentance? And then finally, and the one that just came to mind was John 10.9, Right? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved. Now you say, what are you arguing for, Pastor Matt? Are you arguing that we don't have to turn our lives and repent in order to be saved? No, I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing, though, that salvation for this man And salvation for us does not begin at repentance. It begins at recognition of who God is and what he has done. That's what I believe. And so with a full heart, I can look at you this morning and say, you know what, these interpreters who who have interpreted this, they could rightly say made you well because they don't want to be setting a theological precedent. But I don't believe that they would have set a theological precedent if they had just went with saved. He recognized who Jesus was and the power of what Jesus could do, and that saved him in that moment. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have changed his language. He would have said, get up, go on your way. Your faith has healed you, but he didn't. He said, your faith has saved you. Now, don't go writing to the editors of the NIV, because they'll be mad at me. But if you want to read it in the original Greek, it just says, saved you. The verdict today of the moral of the story, to all who gratefully acknowledge who Jesus is and who receive into their hearts what Jesus can do and has done for them, they will be considered children of God. You see, this man received healing, but when he returned and gave thanks and gratitude to God, he was saved. You see, folks, people with gratitude in their heart They bless the heart of God because persons of gratitude are abnormal. Nine people had their bodies changed, but only one person that day was declared whole from the inside out. Ten people looked a lot better on the outside, but only one had their leprous and decaying heart changed. Recognition and gratitude are necessary components of having our souls restored from their leprosy. Recognition and gratitude, they sterilize and they cleanse and they exfoliate in order to smooth the skin of our hearts. Yes, we are to turn. Yes, we are to repent and become new people. But it starts at gratitude and recognition to God. 
for who he is and what he has done. That way, we're not just religious folks battling sin. Because if we make salvation all about repentance, then we just take grace right out of the equation. Because if we make salvation all about, well, I repented and I changed my ways, who's done the saving? But if our repentance and our turning and our changing comes out of a gratitude and acknowledging of God and his good gifts and how he wants us to live and what he wants to do in us, all of a sudden the changing and the repentance is a fruit of God's spirit rather than a desire of ours to be better people. I'm getting theological a little bit today, and I know that there's some depth to what we're trying to accomplish here. But I encourage you to listen, listen with your heart this morning, because I'm not saying anything against repenting. I'm just saying that we as Christians start with our gratitude and recognition to God. There are many people in this world today that are living still as Pharisees, that are living still as the nine who are running to the priest to get their lives back. They might be battling sin, but are they a true person of gratitude and recognition? Have they been saved by Christ? We live in a world of so many good gifts from God, and yet we spend so much time on what we don't have. We focus on it. It's not quite right. We don't take time to properly acknowledge what we've been given. If we truly want to be saved from those destructive versions of ourselves, if we truly want to have our leprous and decaying hearts renewed, it's necessary that we remain in a constant place of gratitude and recognition to the one who has the power to renew them. To remember who Christ is and what he has done that we might constantly be people who recognize that we have been given grace. We have not earned any part of what's taken place in our lives. We have been given such a good gift in Jesus Christ that we should constantly in our spirits be in the dust in front of him, thanking him for what the, the power that he has displayed in our lives for what he has done and what he is going to do. One of the things, because of Handel's Messiah, one of the scriptures that we remember often at this time of year is just the good gift that Jesus has been to us. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child has been born, unto us a son has been given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Can you think about the good gifts that Jesus has been able to be in your life, the wonderful counselor, the one who comes and we take his counsel now and it changes who we are, the mighty God, the one who can display in our lives his power and make changes for the better, the everlasting father, the one who can affirm us in our spirits and begin to give us the things that we need to become people who thrive, the prince of peace, the one who can come into our hearts when life gets its craziest and its saddest and its most overwhelming and say, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you and give us peace. I prayed that prayer last night. I had so much on my mind as I laid my head upon the pillow and just praying who Jesus was, I just said, Lord, I need you to be my Prince of Peace right now. And he granted my prayer. He displayed his power in that moment 
And I had a good night's sleep because of who he is. You know, we have been given an opportunity by God to change the world with him. We've been given the spirit of God to guide and light up our lives. We have been given the hope of eternal life in heaven. We have been saved. We have been healed and cleansed, but we have been saved from a life that otherwise would have had absolutely no meaning. That we would have lived and died without ever recognizing why we were put on this earth or what we were supposed to be doing. And we could have lived a life that was just sad and despicable and of no account. And God has given us the opportunity by being our wonderful counselor and our mighty God and our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. He's given us the opportunity to live life as he meant us to live. To John 10.10, to live life to the fullest. We should be people of gratitude to God because the gratitude that we show has a cleansing effect in us. When we are people who are truly amazed at what God has done in our lives, that's when our hearts begin to be cleansed and made new. That's the power of what the leprous man did that day. He came and recognized and gave gratitude, and that saved him because it's so abnormal, but it's exactly what God desires from his people. How do we become these people of gratitude? How do we become these people of recognition? Well, I like to tell you this often when we get to an application part of our sermons, and that's this. It's good to ask God how. It's good to ask him, Lord, what, what needs to happen inside of me in order that I might become a person of gratitude and recognition. But that's a simple yet scary prayer. Because God might ask you to show that gratitude and recognition in a way that you're not comfortable with. That man in the dust that day, that was a humiliating posture, wasn't it? How many people have you laid on your stomach in front of and praised? But for the new life that he'd been granted, for the good gifts that God had given him that day, that humble and humiliating posture was nowhere close to sufficient for giving full gratitude. He'd been given everything back. And so have you, if you'll claim it and receive it from the Lord. You can have a new life and you can receive exactly what he desires for you to receive. But it starts at gratitude and recognition. I think perchance when you pray that prayer, God might have you start with somebody else. God might have you start with giving recognition to someone who has helped you become the person that he's designed you to be. That's why we started with old Fred Rogers this morning because there have been people in your life that maybe you see as God sends, but you really haven't recognized that they were God sends. Right? Because we use that term, well, that person was God sent, but do we really give praise to God that they were God sent? We don't even think about that, about that phrase, but that's truly what so many people have been in your and my life to help us become the people that we're supposed to be. You say, well, well, they weren't even Christian. That doesn't mean that they weren't God sent into your life to be God's gift to you. God has used people to help form and make us and mold us. Perhaps in this season of giving, we can give the gift of gratitude to others. And by doing so, we do something really, really neat. By giving thanks and gratitude to the earthly 
people in our lives who have impacted us, we are actually giving praise to God for being heaven sent. When we give gratitude and recognition to people who God has sent into our lives, we are by proxy worshiping the Lord because they are his good gift to us. The leprous man returned praising God and thanking Jesus because Jesus was God's gift directly into his life. I've told this story from this pulpit once before many years ago. I was impacted by a scripture very much like this that I needed to be a person who showed gratitude. And God laid somebody on my heart and it was my pastor from college, a a pastor who still ministers in Cleveland, Tennessee where I went to school. And he had a rather large church but the pastor was such a man of God and he preached in such a way that it didn't matter what denomination or background that you came from, he could affirm your walk with the Lord. The most important things I learned from him were just one, how to revere, how to revere the word of God when you preach. And another thing I learned from him was how beautiful it could be if you could preach about being a person of the spirit of God, but in a balanced fashion. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything to you today, but that's what I wrote him in an email that day. It was probably a Tuesday afternoon here at the church, and I thought, I need to email him today. He might not even get this. He has a church of 2,000 people, and we never even spoke. But I wrote him, and I said, Dr. Lockerman, I just want to thank you. I I sat under you for two years at First Baptist Church, and and your preaching impacted me so deeply. You taught me that I could be a man of the Spirit, but also be a man of balance. And I loved the way that you interacted with people from all different types of faith backgrounds in order to affirm their walk with Christ. And I just wrote a letter of appreciation to him. And I thought, I will never hear a response. This guy's got a big church, and we never even spoke, and we're 600 miles apart. And within an hour, I had a response from Dr. Lockerman. And he wrote back, and he said, Matthew... Thank you so much for this note. He said, you will never believe what God has done in this moment. But he said, directly before I sat down to open my email today, an elder couple, one of my elders, that means another leader in the church, he and his wife came in and they sat down. And they didn't like how open to the spirit of God I was. They didn't think I was being Baptist enough. That's not, it wasn't meant to be a joke, but that's what he wrote. He said they didn't think I was being Baptist enough, and though they've been with me since I came here to this church, they announced to me that they were leaving because of my doctrine and the way that I preached about certain things. He said I was crushed. I sat down on my computer, and I opened your email that affirmed how God had been leading me all these years. Now you say, Pastor Matt, you're such a great guy. No. You know what I thought when I wrote that email? This is stupid. He's going to read this and go, oh yeah, another person I blessed, right? No. No. I thanked that man because he had been heaven sent in my life. And God in his divine economy makes sure that I was heaven sent right back into his. Isn't that who God is? Isn't that what God does? And I want to encourage you today, when people bless you and when you bless people through your gratitude and recognition, that is by proxy praise to your Lord. 
So don't you think if you go and show gratitude and give good gifts to people of recognition right now after you've heard this sermon that you're just blessing them? Could it be that God is using you the same way he used them? Because when we begin to be people of gratitude and recognition, we learn from Luke chapter 17, verse 19, that something takes place internally and we are saved. We are cleansed. We are made new. Because being a person of gratitude and recognition is abnormal. But it's exactly what the Lord wants from us. Will you bow with me and pray? Heavenly Father, I believe that you have spoken through your word today. I believe that you are working in our midst. And I believe that even if we just took 10 seconds in prayer, the way old Mr. Rogers wanted us to take 10 seconds in thought, you would lead us and guide us directly into what you have for us to do. Lord, we recognize through your word today that when we give gratitude and recognition to you, we are saved. And that when we give gratitude and recognition because of what you've done in our lives, there is something that takes place in our heart that is a grace, that is something that only you can do because people of gratitude, people who recognize the good gifts in their lives, their hearts are made clean and their hearts are made new. So today I'm going to ask our elders to step into the aisles and the here at Victory Life, we open these altars every single Sunday to be a place where people can come and pray and be prayed for. And perhaps today you want to come and pray and be prayed for because God has spoken something to you into your spirit through this message that you have some gratitude and recognition either to offer to God today or you want to pray and say, God, my heart's been a little leprous recently. There's been a heart ailment of ingratitude and striving, being proud of who I am and my accomplishments, but not necessarily grateful for who you are, what you've done, and the people that you've done that through. These altars are open to you today. And of course, as every Sunday, if you have physical need, if you need healing, if you want the Lord to step into your life and touch a circumstance with your family or your friends and you want somebody to stand in prayer with you, these altars are open. So today, if God's speaking to your heart in any of these arenas, would you come right now? Stand up right out of your seat and let our elders anoint you with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit and pray for you. Just come right now. If you have business that you want to do with God today, we'll just take a few moments to pray. It's powerful when we allow God to speak into our hearts and lives and move into the places we need him to move. If you remain in your seats today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And as these people are prayed for, I'm going to ask you that you would pray, God, what would you have me do in response to what I've heard today? What could be my running back to Jesus moment? What's reasonable service that I could give you today, Lord God, out of gratitude and recognition for the new life that you've given me? Let's pray that prayer. Allow God to speak into your spirit in this place. We'll pray for a few minutes.
song. Dude. 
dismissed today, I just want to convey to you that someone has had what they believe to be a word from the Lord. And I just encourage you today because my spirit resonates with it. Whatever God's told you to do, it might feel foolish. And it, it might not go over the exact way that you think it needs to go over. Do it anyway. Trust what the Lord has spoken into your spirit and obey him today. Obey him today. Because he has a divine economy that we can't regulate, but that he definitely knows how to regulate in the name of Jesus. Let's pray and dismiss. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done in this place and what you're going to do through us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would move in and through us and that, Lord, by the gratitude and recognition that you place in our hearts, we, Lord, can minister strongly in your spirit. Lord, help us to bless the hearts of others as, Lord, we speak into their lives. We pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing today and use us mightily in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you.